Hi, everybody. Welcome to the first episode of the EdTech Podcast. I'm Rob Lindquist. And I'm Devin Schoening. And we are teachers and educators at Council Bluffs Community School District in Council Bluffs, Iowa. Um, if you want to get in contact with us, you sure can. Twitter is an easy way to get in contact with us. I am at Swift360. And I'm at D Schoening. It's D-S-C-H-O-E-N-I-N-G. Uh, this first episode, we're going to try to hit a lot of topics in a little bit of time. First topic we're going to hit is the process of one-to-one -one in the classroom, especially here in our district at Council Bluffs Community Schools. Uh, we're going to move on to maybe the future of education and talk a little bit about MOOCs, the massive open online courses, and finally wrap things up maybe with model tech teachers. We'll see how much time we have there at the end. But let's just kind of get started off, I guess, with the one-to-one -one in our district and maybe where that process started for us, but more importantly, where we are going and heading into the future. Well, you know, we were lucky enough uh, a couple of years ago to have the opportunity to work um, with Google. Uh, when Google was introducing the Chromebook and introducing uh, what they called at the time the CR48, uh, they asked us if, if we would like to test those machines for them in a, in a setting, a school setting, and we said, sure. You know, we're not against taking, uh, getting 500 machines uh, and getting to practice with those. And so that was kind of serendipitous in getting us started down the road to one-to-one, -to -one, uh, which was in our strategic plan for our district. Um, and so that, that got us going. We, we started something called Project 500. Uh, and Project 500 allowed us to have teachers uh, apply in our district to be part of that, to get a classroom set of, of CR48s to, to kind of see what they could do with those, how that would change student learning, how it would change instruction. After that, we were able to expand on that, and we, we bought about 1,000 more Chromebooks, uh, the Samsung models, and we put the, a cart in every language arts and social studies classroom in our district. Um, and we knew that they were further along in our curriculum development, uh, and so we wanted to, to start down the road of one-to-one -one. again. We, we started with this kind of the 500 that Google let us test. We brought in the 1,000 more, and that led directly to this school year um, where we were able to give every high school student um, all about 27 or 2,800 of them in our two high schools, um, a, a Chromebook to have uh, all day at school, then they also take that home. So the nice thing for us, Rob, and, and you know this having being in the classroom right now, is that it allowed us to kind of phase in our one-to-one. -one. We didn't go from having nothing to having a device for every kid. We were able to kind of slowly roll that out, and I think that has been, I think that's worked really well for our schools. Absolutely, and you know, I was one of the teachers that applied initially, didn't get it, because I end up, I have my own lab right now, and I think that's probably part of the reason I didn't get the Chromebooks at the beginning, but seeing it from an outsider and looking in, I think it was important uh, to roll it out slowly and to let the kids see a few kids, uh, others, using the Chromebooks, and that was a huge benefit for our school. Uh, eventually, and right now, you know, in my classroom especially, um, maybe it's not as important that they use the Chromebooks every minute every, every day, and that's a huge obstacle for some of the teachers that I see. Would you agree? Yeah, and it's interesting that you bring that up. One of the, the things that we've really tried to promote throughout the district and throughout our community is that the one-to-one, -one, uh, one device, one mobile computing device for every kid, uh, eventually in grades 3 through 12, that it's not about the device and it's not about uh, the technology. This is, this, is a com this is completely an instructional initiative. We want to look at how is this going to impact student learning? 
How is this going to provide opportunities for our kids um, to do all kinds of different things, things that were not possible if we didn't have the technology in place? So yeah, I mean, the, the rollout was slow, and it was it worked out really well that way. But but we have always tried to be really transparent with the fact that this is an, an instructional initiative and certainly not a technology initiative. And, you know, for, for me, I consider myself uh, lazy when it comes to adapting sometimes with technology or with teaching methods and things of that nature. And so for that, from that aspect, I think that it's important that everybody understands uh, the process that we had to go through. And, and on that note, I mean, it kind of led to us becoming a model school for other places as well. Right, and and you know, speaking of that, we have a we have a whole bunch of, of schools coming in tomorrow uh, to visit us uh, to to look at one to one learning and to look at uh, the Chromebooks, um, and it and it has led to that, and we we have tried to build some capacity in our buildings for what learning looks like with the devices now. With that being said, though, I mean, I, I wrote a post recently about the fact that I, I don't know if I'm being impatient, uh, but it, it just it seems like it's moving slower uh, than I think maybe maybe I had envisioned it happening. You know, we the rollout happened slowly, and the implementation is going to take some time too. It is just like anything else. You know, it's going to take some time for our, our teachers and our students to really be able to envision what can be done with the technology, as opposed to just taking it and enhancing what they've already done, or, or trying to find a way to to recreate what they've already done and just utilize the technology. And that actually brings us to a topic uh, we mentioned in the intro here. We're going to talk about model teachers a little bit. So let's just go right to that. You kind of lead a group of us misfit teachers in what we call the model tech club or model tech teachers. And we kind of help other teachers throughout the building that are struggling with technology. I'm asked at least once a day um, to help somebody out uh, with something as simple as where'd my file go to I need to set up a whole course based around this website. Um, I think personally, I think that's a wonderful aspect to have. How important was it with the one-to-one -one and then moving from one-to-one -one completely just for people in general at school? When we when we started down this road, um, you know, we will eventually be one to one grades three through twelve. Um, that's a heck of a lot of kids. Our district has uh, about nine thousand students um, uh, and about nine hundred teachers, uh, and so that that was going to be big for us. And and in our district, even in a one to one district where we'll be one to one grades three through twelve, we have one instructional technology coach. Um, we have instructional coaches in our buildings without the technology focus. Uh, and so rolling things out and getting things moving is, is difficult. And so one of the, the pieces that we tried to add is to create these model technology teachers in classrooms in, in individual buildings. And what, they, what we hoped would happen is that it would build capacity in those buildings. So we would have teacher leaders in those buildings who would be able to model for other teachers, who would be able to ask answer questions um, about what is best practice in terms of, of having those devices in my classroom in the hands of kids every single day. And so we we've tried to use uh, lots of different uh, ideas with that group. One is we, we use ISTE's uh, um, standards, the standards they have for students and the standards they have for teachers, to be kind of help, helpful guiding posts along the way. Um, we try and look at things like innovation and creativity. Uh, we look at you know, how do we connect our kids globally? How do we get them working with other kids and, and knowing that it's okay to share with the world? Uh, and then, it, you know, the, the internet is not such a scary place. And as you know, that's a much harder thing to do with some of the teachers we work with than absolutely. it is with the students. Yeah, absolutely. The teacher aspect of 
it, um, just trying to get some of the teachers to get on Twitter, use the classroom uh, website more often than just a place to put worksheets is, is a struggle that I think that we are starting slowly to overcome, and I think that that's a great thing. Uh, there are millions of resources out there for everybody. It's just a matter of looking for those resources. And as you know, and as teachers all over the country know, we all have to deal with curriculum. We all have to deal with assessments. We all have to deal with, you know, the things that, that our districts and, and the, the government are telling us that we have to do. We have to meet these standards. We have to start looking at the Common Core and, and impl implementing the Common Core within our curriculum. Um, so what, it, what becomes kind of hard for teachers is, okay, how do I meet all of these requirements? How do I meet all of these things that my district is telling me I need to meet while also trying to allow an opportunity for my kids to be creative and allow an opportunity for my kids to, um, to be innovative and, and to, to use the, the things that they're passionate about as a vehicle to learn social studies, math, science, whatever the, the content might be. That's the harder part. And I don't know how it's been in buildings for lots of teachers, but that seems to me when I talk to teachers, that's the biggest restraint. How do I do that within the, the, the structure that I'm teaching in right now? I think that uh, maybe in future episodes, we could maybe touch on that a little bit. Hopefully, there will be future episodes. Uh, but let's really quick, we have a couple minutes left here, uh, talk about MOOCs and what a massive open online course is and maybe the benefit or the future of education. personally going through a grad class right now and we've just discussed this topic so it's fresh on my mind uh, but I think uh, personally I think I, I would be an advocate for it because it's allowing students of all ages no matter uh, middle school all the way through you know 80s 90s even anybody could take these courses and learn and that's what in essence we're trying to do as educators is get people to learn best part it's free uh, you're not required to do it, so I guess if you have life events that come up, you could choose to opt out. But really what this uh, massive online uh, open course is doing is allowing people to just soak up knowledge, to become a learner in their own right. And I think that in the future this could become something that could be used in high schools, um, but the problem seems to be where we're looking at it right now is credit and how do you be, I guess, uh, given credit for taking this knowledge and using it and applying it and things of that nature. The biggest aspect uh, from online teaching is, of course, cheating. And so how do we know that these people aren't cheating in order to get their accreditation? Uh, maybe, Devin, you can kind of tell me a little bit, um, just basically, is this something that we could go to or is this going to be gone in six months or what are your thoughts? It's a really tough question. Um, the cheating part, you know, what, what the, the question always is, if it's, if it's Googleable, if, it's, if I can search the answer out and not have to do any real thinking on my own, then what's the value of, of doing whatever it is you're asking me to do? Absolutely. Anyways, um, MOOCs are, are, are certainly something worth having. You know, I read something uh, by Larry Cuban who was talking about uh, talking about some of the the different viewpoints on on MOOCs and, and how it's you know looked at, especially at high, in higher education. And one of the comments on the post that I read talked about this being something that you know is really good for you know who succeeds in MOOCs. It's the ten percent of kids who end up going through it and following through on the entire course and finishing it. Uh, and then colleges, I mean, they they will they will kind of uh, benefit from that as well. But the question is, is that good enough? Is, is if ten percent of people are out there and they really want to learn? 
learn and they're passionate about learning and whatever the topic is, if I can go out there and find information on the topic I'm passionate about, then what should stop me from doing that? If there are people willing to put this information out there, if, uh, if you're willing as a teacher to put yourself out there and, and put that information out there for anybody, is that good enough? Is, is the 10% of people who might be, and, and that's, that's a, a number that you know, is just being pulled out. I have no statistical backup for that or research for that. But is it good enough if it's just that amount of people that are benefiting from this? Is it hurting anybody that's not doing it. And that's kind of the, the thing that I thought about last night was we have these, this access, we have this information uh, that's out there. Why not use it if you want it? And I think that that's maybe where that 10% is and, and that kind of thing. And I, I, for me, I enjoy it. Everybody wants Jeopardy knowledge, right? <laughs> and you're right, but the, the question about credit is going to be the bigger one. Uh, in high schools, you know, there are more and more folks who, who use products like Apex or use products like uh, Edgenuity, which, which used to be E2020. Um, and, and there are some really great things there where, where kids could earn credit. You know, I think it's, I think it's Michigan. Uh, in the state of Michigan, there's a requirement that you have to take uh, a couple of online courses for, as part of your graduation from high school. Um, is, that a, is that a thing we need to? Is it a skill in, our, in you know, kind of our ever-changing world? Do we need to know how to self-regulate our learning and, and do some of that? I don't know. I mean, what do you think? Personally, I think it was Colorado State that just accredited a few classes, uh, or excuse me, I'm sorry, gave credit for a few of the MOOCs online, uh, and they would apply it towards credit of their degree. And that's the process that's starting. And I think that is it is it beneficial for society as a whole? Sure, I, I think so. Um, and I, you know, we'll see, I guess, right? It, yeah, and, and MOOCs. I don't. I don't know what place they're going to hold for us in our high schools. Right. Um, and in higher education, that's certainly the 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 question that's been out there. I saw a tweet earlier from John Becker today that that asked the question. You know, if if colleges go to half MOOC and half kind of marker space, you know, face to face, is that good enough for people? You know, if we end up at this kind of this kind of fifty fifty, where sometimes I'm I'm doing completely online and sometimes I'm not, is that okay? Is that good enough? For high schoolers, you have to. For high, I'm wrapping my mind around this as I'm talking. For high schoolers, getting something interesting is almost more important than getting something needed. Um, and I think that this could lend itself in that nature. Um, but yeah, the credit, the money, everything else is kind of up in the air. Let me go back to the original question. You know high school students. Right. You work with high school students on a, on, every, uh, on a daily basis. How many of them are going to go out and and actually do the MOOC. Can I say 10%? Yeah. That's, what I mean, you, exactly. That, that's exactly what I think we might end up being. You know, right. If you look at the kids that are out there, the ones that, that really might benefit from this, though. In high school, if I'm a kid who is really excelling, if I'm doing as much as I can in high school, and I want to learn, I want to find out more, then maybe a MOOC is a great place for me because I can't get everything I want in high school. You could, though, also use it as an exploratory program um, because it is free. And I know we're just running out of time here, but it is free. Uh, it could be something that they could look at to get a feel for. If they don't like it, they know I don't want to do this in college. And so maybe beneficially there. Uh, but on that note, i got to stop it. We're at our 15-minute mark. And so we are going to allow you to get in contact with us through Twitter. Is probably the best way. Again, Rob Lindquist here at Swift360. And Devin Shoning at D. Shoning. You can also reach us on Twitter at CB Tech Podcast. And this was episode one of the EdTech Podcast from Council Bluffs Community Schools. Thank you.